I'm going to do a, a four-session series, which I'm calling Turn Up the Volume. Turn up three people and say, Turn Up the Volume. It's, 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 the thought process is this. It's if you are going to look at your life and live intentionally, how many people do you know? And even when you look at yourselves through seasons, how often do you just drift? You get the things done that have to be done, but ultimately you're drifting. And I believe your life is too valuable and too important to ever be drifting. We need to be intentional, yeah? You want to make the best of your life. You want to make a difference. You want to be about some business. You want to achieve stuff personally, I'm sure. But we want to achieve stuff for the kingdom. To do that, we have to be intentional. It's not all just going to happen. And who knows that when Jesus was here, he was intentional. He went out of his way to do amazing things. Sometimes we need to be intentional. So I'm using this idea of turning the volume up to ask these questions. What is the sound that is coming out of your life? What do you need to turn up in your life so that when someone says, how do you know that person? What are they known for? It will be the thing you want them to to know you for. Because if we just drift I'm sure people have an opinion of you and your life and what you're about, and it may not be what you think it is. But if you turn the volume up, it has to be so loud that people say, that's what that person's about. Do you see the thought process? So really, we're just asking a bunch of questions. I like the idea of preaching. It isn't coming to tell you what to do, but to get you to ask yourself some questions to get you to engage with the Father and wrestle with some stuff. If I can get you to wrestle with some stuff, I'm doing my job. Some preaching, and sometimes I do it, we need to be told some stuff, challenged with some stuff. But sometimes we need to say, you're clever people. You have your own relationship with the Father, so if I can ask some good questions, maybe you can wrestle with some stuff. And my hope is that we'll have a church turning up the volume in their life, that it declares something of heaven on earth. Amen? Let's have a look at this. Uh, Acts 1, verse 8, it says this, very famous passage. Uh, Jesus speaking, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, this is Jesus just proclaiming the Holy Spirit is about to come, and when he comes, he's going to do some amazing stuff. But this is some questions we ask ourselves in our Christian journey, in church life. How do we do evangelism? Have you ever asked yourself that? You ever been asked that in terms of maybe a church you've attended? How do you do evangelism? Well, I've looked at some definitions of evangelism. Here's a definition of evangelism. The winning or revival of a personal commitment to Christ. So when you're in, the whole point of evangelism is that you're introducing people to a relationship with Jesus. Yeah? That's, that's, that's what you're looking for in terms of evangelism. So if the result of evangelism is making Jesus known introducing people to him, then here in Acts, Jesus isn't asking us to do evangelism. He says, because my spirit is in you, you will be my witnesses. It's who you are. Sometimes we say, today I'm going to do evangelism. In actual fact, every day you are being a witness. Do you see? The trouble is, we spend, students here will spend so many hours, 40 hours a week studying People here at work will spend 40 hours a week at work. Maybe you're someone who looks after the home or, you, or you're looking after children. You'll spend 40 hours a week doing it. You spend more time doing that than anything else. So how about you can be a witness in that? What does your workplace look like? Not because you're doing evangelism, but because you're being a witness. Do you see the difference here? 
There's a shift. Now, there are evangelists, and there are times when we put an evangelistic event on and we do it. There's nothing wrong with that. But every day, every minute of the day, all of the time, we should be a witness. So ask questions then. What does your life declare? What is the sound coming out of your life if you are to be a witness to Jesus? And if you analyze your life and take a step back for a moment, is the sound coming out of your life what you want to come out of your life? Or do you need to shift something? Do you need to wrestle with something? Do you need to turn something else down and something else up so that actually I'm a living, walking witness to Jesus Christ? Because that's who I want to be. And I'm hoping that's who you want to be. Here's a little thought. Instead of thinking kind things about someone, tell them. Controversial, I know. How about, church, we start making some noise? There are good people in your world. There are good people. I'm sure you're so glad they're in your world. How about we start telling them, shifting something so the noise coming out of your world is a positive noise, is an encouraging noise, is a kind noise. So I've called this one today, and I turn up the volume part two, saved and called. Saved and called. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says this. There's quite a few things there. <laughs> he has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. Uh, we'll look at this area of grace in a moment. But here's a question. I'm going to ask you lots of questions today. I wonder how many of us are living saved, but not living called. And it's something I want us to wrestle with because it affects the noise that's coming out of your life. We are saved from something, but it doesn't end there. We are called to something. And when you are called to something, life takes on a greater purpose, doesn't it? Because otherwise, we have this wrestle, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. When we engage with Jesus, he, he gets about the business of salvation. Famous, most famous passage in the Bible is probably John 3.16. And then I like to go into John 3.17. It says, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believed in him would have eternal life and not perish. We know that, don't we? Verse 17 says, He didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, it's Jesus who gets about the saving. It's his job. It's not my job. It's not your job. I'm sure some of us think, if actually, we can do a better job than Jesus. We need to tell a few people off because they're not living saved. And it's my role to tell them, Jesus is more than capable of saving people. It's all right, church. We can chill. It's his job, in terms of salvation, to free us, to set us free from the things that have hurt us, the things that have isolated us from rejection, and I started looking at us as a church, and probably lots of churches, and probably most of us do our best to live a good life, which is awesome. But here's one of the things I feel like the Holy Spirit highlighted to me. He's freeing us from our attitudes. And it's this idea of, yeah, well, I, I, I don't drink too much, and I, I don't smoke, and I don't sleep around, and I don't do the obvious things that people might do, and my language is pretty good, and... My attitude sometimes stinks. How many of us think we're always right? How many of us look up and down at someone else who's living a different kind of life? And God is saying, no, no, I've saved you from that. I want you to look at everyone through my eyes and be someone who's known for love. 
And so God is, and Jesus is about this continual process of saved, yet saving us. Who knows that this time next year, you'll be a different person to you are now. If you allow God to take you on this journey of salvation, you are not yet Jesus. So there's room for improvement. It's his job, not my job, not the person sat next to you's job, to take you on that journey of salvation. He is freeing you from stuff all the time. And you get to that place where what used to hurt me, what used to hinder me, what used to hold me back, can't anymore. Because I'm a little bit more like Jesus. And when someone said that or looked at me like that before, that really used to drag me back. But you know what? I'm a different person now. And the same person can say the same thing, but it doesn't affect me. Because I'm saved from it. Do you see what God's doing? He is committed to taking you to a new place. It's a continual work. Here's the wrestle. If we only live saved, that becomes an issue by itself. Because you'll look at your life and you'll say, I know the life I'm called to. I know the things I've done, thought and said, which just led me to a place of frustration. Led me to a place of being boxed in. I know it is. So I know what I'm supposed to not do. Are you familiar with that? I know I shouldn't be doing that because I know it leads to a bad place. And so what we do is we make a good choice to agree with that. And so we live a certain lifestyle because we're not doing that. We're not doing that. And we're not doing that. And we're not doing that because we are determined to live saved. Anyone familiar with that process? But here's the problem with that. Don't think about a pink elephant. 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 What are you thinking of? <laughs> Don't eat that donut, anyone. Don't eat that donut. Who really fancies a donut? You see, when you're focusing on what you're not supposed to do, it just highlights it and brings it into the front of you and makes it more attractive. And so if you're only living saved, inevitably you're going to stumble because you do the thing you don't want to do. Do you see? So there's the wrestle we find ourselves in if we're only living saved. In Genesis 19, you'll find Lot's wife. Are you familiar with Lot's wife? They lived in Sodom and Gomorrah, which was the epitome of everything the world is bad for. Horrendous lifestyles they were living. And God was bringing judgment on that place. But Abraham went and said, you know, let me get my cousin out, my nephew out. And, and, the, and so, so they, he went in and God said to him, yeah, you can bring him out, but don't look back. And so they pressed in and Lot's wife looked back. And the moment she looked back, you read it in Genesis 19, she turned to a pillar of salt. Are you familiar with the story? You see, when you're looking back at the place you came from, it's going to hold you there. Because the reality is, we're not only called, and we're not only saved, but we are called to something. So God, all through his word, is saying, don't keep looking back, but press on. Because as you press on, you're moving further and further away from the things that once held you. And I'm saving you in the process. And yet you're now living a different life and making a difference. What does the sound come out of your life when you start to shift into that gear? Do you see what's happening? So the question is this. Is the loudest voice coming from your life that you are trying not to do wrong stuff? Because ultimately that becomes unattractive. See, how many of us have lived a life, for instance... I'll give an example, a personal example. I used to play football, professional football. 
And in that time, it was a quite a big drinking culture. So after the game, you'd win the game and you'd go and celebrate. You'd start off in the bar, you'd have a couple of beers, you'd go out, you'd all be in your nice suits and you'd get to the front of a, a nightclub queue and they'd let you in because you were the footballers and it was all quite liked. It was really big time, I was. And uh, you'd have a few drinks and all kinds of stuff would go off. But then you get serious about your relationship with Jesus and you stop doing that. Now, the questions your friends and your colleagues are then asking you is, Barry, what's the matter with you? Why don't you come out for a drink? And if I say this, oh, because it be a sinneth against the Lordeth. I don't no longer live that lifeeth. I'm struggling with it because I'm focusing on it. And they're like, what? Being saved is not then attractive, is it? But if I say this, actually, guys, tonight... I volunteered at the local youth club. There's some kids there who haven't got a father and they really relate to me being a footballer and they love it and so I go down and I give my time and it just makes their life better. If I, if I say that as opposed to I'm not allowed to drink, it's the wrong thing to do, which is attractive? You see, because I'm saved from something, but I'm called to something. And when I say what I'm called to, people actually get it. They're like, oh, wow, wow, that's brilliant. To be fair, next week I might come with you. Do you know it's attractive when you start talking about what you're called to? But when we keep going on about what we're saved from, as if it's rules and religion, it's just not attractive. It is true, but we haven't got this message of it's just that, it's that, and it's this. So my life is heading in a new direction because I've encountered Jesus, made a choice to agree with my salvation, but it's not about avoiding stuff, it's about doing some great stuff. And people get it. It's so interesting because the, the landlord of this place is not a Christian guy, and when we first approached him about having a church here, he thought it was a bit weird. But he let us in and look, we're doing some great stuff in this building, so it's awesome. Now, amazing what we've been able to do in, in what is ultimately an office building. But downstairs now, he has allowed Beacon House to come in and rent the space and that the most prevalent homeless project in our town is going to be underneath us. The reason is, is because he's engaged with us and seen the good things we're doing, looked at some of the projects that we're into, engaged with them, and now rather than saying, oh, we're this bunch of people who don't do stuff, we're actually this bunch of people who do do some great stuff and he's joining in. So by being about some stuff, by having a calling to some stuff, we're actually making a huge difference. Whereas if we were the group of people who said, oh, we don't do that because the Lord saith noteth. No one's getting impacted. We think we're holier than thou and actually we're putting everyone off. But actually, isn't it true that when you start getting about some good stuff, you just get further away from the bad stuff and it's less attractive anyway. Because the noise coming out of your life is making a difference. And that is the group of people I hope we want to be. That actually there's something coming out of my life which is attractive. I wrote here in my notes. When you give your attention to living called, the living saved bit is easy. Yet if we're only living saved, it's just forever in your face like the pink elephant, the pink elephant, the pink elephant, the pink elephant. And what happens? You know that story. I'm sure lots of people have lived that life where you keep doing the same thing, you keep doing the same thing, oh, you're beating yourself up. And it's not because you don't love Jesus, and it's not because you, you, you don't understand the relationship, it's because you're not getting called to something. You're staying here when God has always wanted you there. And so my shout out to you today, my wrestle to you today is, what are you called to? And we can all be called to lots of different things. We are all called to advance the kingdom on earth through the church. 
But individually, you ha- will have callings in your life. And I love the, the, uh, the word grace that God uses here. We are called to a great life and a life that you have been graced for. I want to unpack that a little bit for you. Two kinds of versions of using grace here. You are saved by grace. Do you understand that? The, the word here for grace is, is, is undeserved favor. You know, basically, Jesus looked down from heaven with his father and said, it's getting messy. But I love these guys too much just to watch it get messier and messier and messier. I'm going to step in because I love you. God so loved the world that that was only his only motivation. So he sends Jesus. Jesus comes in, steps into our life, takes our place and positions us for a relationship with the Father. That's grace. Not because we deserve it, but just because he wants to give it to us anyway. It's undeserved favor. You are saved by grace. Not because you're a great person, not because I'm a great person, but because he's a great God. And that's the only reason you're saved. But you only have to say thank you. And I don't know everyone in the room. Let me shout out to you. If you've never said yes to Jesus, it is the biggest and best decision you'll ever make in your life. Give me a wave if you can agree with that statement. Come on, church. We need to be people who are starting to get excited about our relationship with Jesus. Because what it does, it takes you from a place of hurt and into a place of making a difference. And it's exciting. And it's not because we do anything particular. It's because he's done it all for us. It's grace. All I've had to do is say, thank you, Jesus, that you love me. I accept you. Now help me. And he just comes in and just brings his supernatural ability to shift my life. So we go from saved by grace into being graced with abilities. I love the fact that God has put a dream in each of your hearts. Whether you can verbalize it or not, whether people or your friends know about it, there is something in your heart you want to achieve. There's something that makes you get out of bed in the morning and goes, that's what I want to be about. There is something you are working towards. There is something that when you see it on TV, your heart leaps. There is maybe a cause or a mission that makes you think, yes, I want to make a difference. There is something in you. But the great thing is God put that in you. And he doesn't just leave it hanging there. He graced you for it. He gave you the ability to fulfill your dream. Let's have a little look at what that looks like. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. You will find in this passage seven what I call service gifts. Is um, For the grace by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is given, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. You see, so these are grace gifts. Some people have a God-given ability to be a giver and to do it generously. They can just do it. Now, a grace gift is something that you're able to do easily without any hassle because God's given you the ability to do it. Often when people look at me doing this, They'll say to me, oh, Barry, the way you get up there and you talk to lots of different people, I couldn't do that. 
And, and the hassles you must have, the phone calls you must have with all these different pastoral needs and all the hassles in your life. And people phoning you up at unearthly hours. And, oh, I couldn't do that. But you know what? I can. And the reason I can isn't because I'm better than any of you, because believe me, I'm not. It's because God's graced me for it. So I can do this with ease. If I was to call some of you up right now and say, off you go, you'd be like, <laughs> because it's, because it's not in you. But it doesn't make me better than you because you will have a gift you're graced for that I could never do. So do you see? So the key we need to be wrestling with right now is what is your grace gift? What is God put inside of you that not everyone has but you do have? And then can you pursue it so it becomes a loud noise in your life? You know, before I started church, I was a loud noise on a football pitch. And I believe God was putting something on the inside of me that. But that wasn't my grace gift. My grace gift is coming to life in this environment where I'm able, through God, to inspire some great people. I can do this. And I find it easy. And I love it. And when I got off the stage and I go home, I'm buzzing. On the evening service, I can't go to sleep till 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh, that was such a good service. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> I'm sure you're the same. I love this. If, if you are to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What a grace gift. To be kind, to give someone time to care enough, to not just watch it happen, but to have to step in. But not only do you have to step in, God's graced you to step in. You can step in in a way that someone else could only dream of, but you can do it because God's given you the ability to do it. Do you hear what I'm saying? And there's all kinds of grace gifts. I wonder if there's people here who are graced for the business world. You know, we're going to talk about you, you have a gift of giving on your life, but you're skint. How are you going to use your grace gift? So I believe often God raises up businessmen and women to succeed in the business world and handle vast sums of finances because you have a grace to handle it. And where other people would be in Barbados and driving Ferraris and having six homes around the world, your grace, because you're, you're funding mission, you're supporting a child, you're bringing a difference to the sex trafficking world, you're doing amazing things because God's given you a grace to handle the finance diligently. Whereas me, I'm in Barbados. <laughs> but I can do this. I can do this. And I just wonder... What's your grace gift? I love the idea of some people's grace gift is to go to someone's house, sit with a cup of coffee and listen. Do you know one of the biggest things in the older population in our town is loneliness? I wonder. See, I, I can do that for a while. I think I'm okay. I'm quite patient. But I wouldn't want to do that all of the time. And yet some people just have the ability to get up in the morning and say, I'm going to visit so-and-so and I'm going to give them my entire morning and I'm going to listen. And I'm going to smile and I'm going to be kind. That changes lives. And yet it's a grace gift. They can just do it. It brings life to them. It's bread to them. They go home and they're like, well, I am fulfilling my purpose. You see, because I'm not just saved from stuff, but I'm called to something. See, I'm not just saved from all these things that held me, the attitudes in life, the struggle, the wrestle, the sin, the darkness, the isolation of it all. No, no, no. I am saved from that, but now I'm called to go and make a difference for this person who's lonely. And it's not just saved from something. It's called to something. Can you see what I'm saying? So the sound coming out of that person's life isn't, oh, oh, they're not a sinner anymore. Oh, the sound coming out of that person is, they're amazing. They're bringing life to someone else. They are called to something. 
maybe you're called to teach young children. You know, for some people, the thought of getting in a room with 20 kids would just bring nightmares. But for some people, that's life. For some people, it's like, I can't wait to get into that room. I can't wait to sow into those children. I can't wait to be around them because God's graced me for it. I can just do it. And so I'm not just saved from this difficult past I've had. I'm not just saved from the wrestles of this life. I'm called to teach children. See, maybe someone has just got this ability to gather large crowds and organize huge events and my wedding planning or I don't know what it is, but you just have this God-given ability to organize stuff. You know, it calls the, the gift of service. It's just like you're able to organize things. Not everyone can do that, but you can. And so you're saved from whatever it is you've been through. You've been saved from, 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 from hopelessness and into a place of hope. But it's not just that. You're called to go and make a difference in all kinds of ways. You have something in you. And I am determined that the noise coming out of this church will be that we celebrate those grace gifts. Isn't it cool that Lizelle was able to come up and say, do you know what? I pressed in to my giving gift. And God just did this. And now I've got a story. But if you don't press in, you never have a story. And it all starts with us. Every one of you has got a grace gift in your life. Are you prepared to throw it, kick it, do something with it? Or are you just going to go, well, I think I'm called to this. Do something, church. Step in. Speak up. Love someone. But there is something going off in your heart and you will know what it is. And maybe the next wrestle, if you don't know what it is, is to get with two or three people who know you and say, what do you see in me? And listen to the answer. Make sure it's people who love you. <laughs> Otherwise, you're opening yourself up to all kinds of flack. But get with some people who care about you and say, what do you see in me? And they, they will say X, Y, and Z. And you'll go, oh, yeah, that's right, actually. I hadn't thought of it like that. And then pray. God, give me an opportunity. I believe you graced me for something. I don't just want to be saved. I want to be called. I want to make a difference in this world. I want to be your hands and feet. I want to be your mouthpiece. I want to make a difference. There is a grace gift on your life. You have one. Things you can do with very little effort that other people just can't. I, I you know, do life with lots of different church leaders. And uh, we, we laugh about Brian Houston. Love Brian Houston, love Hillstone Church, probably the biggest church in the, in the world right now with, if you added up all their campuses, just amazing what they do. But Brian has a grace gift. We, we reckon that you could mug Brian Houston, strip him naked, tie him up and drop him in Iran and within a week he'll have a church of 20,000. <laughs> because he can just do it. It doesn't mean he's better than you and me. God's grace that man was saying something amazing. Do you get it? See, someone can do stuff to you, tie you up, tie you up in knots, put you down, do anything to you, but they can't stop your grace gift because you're going to step out and it's a God-given thing and man can't stop it. So if you can start working out what is my grace gift and step into it, God's going to use you. People's lives are going to be changed. Heaven is going to be displayed on earth because you're not only saved, you are called. And so if we're going to continue just living saved, it's going to be difficult. You will be saved, but you'll wrestle all the time with that pink elephant and that donut. Whereas if you say, yes, I'm saved from that, but I'm heading here. Now, I'm not like Lot's wife thinking, oh, yeah, but that, when I get stuck, I'm pressing in, like Paul says, pressing in for the prize. Going forward, I've got something in me, and I've got to get it out. 
because at the end of it all, I'm going to stand before my father and say, I gave it my best shot. And he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I knew I could trust you with that grace gift. But maybe it takes a time like this for you to start wrestling what is mine. What has God put in my heart? And it will be something that you love. It will be something you love. Don't think for one second God's called you to, to teach small children if actually you really struggle to be around small children. Don't think for one second that God has called you to have a cup of tea every morning with, with an old age pensioner if you really don't have nothing in common with old age pensioners. Don't think for one second God's called you into a church leadership situation if actually that scares the pants off you. He's called you to something and it will be easy for you because he loves you. See, when you turn up the grace gifts in your life, you flow, you enjoy, you shine. I love these people who can just communicate through creativity and art. It's really rising up, I think, at the moment, isn't it? These different artists that, you know, I look at these, these people who you know, get a bit of paper. and they, Have you seen them ones where they do it and then they turn it upside down and it's like someone's face? So how do you even do that? But they can do it. And I love the ones where they do some kind of heaven on earth kind of picture or some kind of spiritual thought and they, they make all these shapes and swirl their hands around it and it looks like a right mess and they turn it over and you're like, whoa. People can do that because they're graced for it and it's their gift and we need to celebrate it and press it and promote it because it will make someone will go, I get it because I saw your picture. I just love that whole idea of God's giving us creativity in all of us. So how are we going to get it out there, church? You are saved from struggle into a life of advancing the kingdom on a mission for something that's bigger than you. It amazes me that the grace gifts actually take our eyes off of ourselves and say we're actually about someone else. It always blesses someone else. And isn't that the heart of the Father right there? Jesus didn't come to earth and die a grisly death for himself. He did it for us. It's always for someone else. And so when we look at our gifts, we're saved, so we're all right, but now we're called to be a blessing to someone else, and it will shift you. There can be seasons in callings. All of us actually have more than one calling. There will be a season when you're called to be a great mother or father, and that's what you need to give your attention to. There will be seasons when you're called to be a great provider. There could be seasons when you need to be a great teacher or a great preacher. There could be a season when you need to be the best intercessor. There can be seasons where your calling has to rise to the fore in that season. But then might subside and something else rise up. You will have more than one grace gift in your life. You'll have more to you. You're not one dimensional. But the key is in each season, what is God calling out of you now? And if you'll function in that, you're going to be one happy person. You can be going through all kinds of difficulty that the world will look at and go, wow. But in the midst of that, you're at total peace because you're on a mission. And God's taking you somewhere. And you have total faith and peace and trust that he's got your back. And as you press into your grace gift and bless someone else, he says, I'll look after you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make someone else's life better. And I'll make sure you get everything else attached. It's a kingdom principles where we make it about someone else. When you turn up the volume in living called, without even trying, you are being a witness. You see, so often we are so busy trying to be saved that we become a negative witness. Whereas actually when we live called, 
you become a witness to Jesus that my life is about helping someone else, blessing someone else, flourishing in who I am. It brings joy to my heart and it's attractive. And you continually move away from what once was a problem. You know, maybe there's people here who had difficulty with their father or their mother when they were young. And I know that's one of the key issues that messes people's lives up. And people carry it through to their 50s and 60s and 70s. And it's only then they open up and go, I've had a really difficult time. But I think the love of the Father is that he steps into that situation and he can heal your wounds. And then isn't it that person that gets a grace gift to go and be a mother or father to someone else? That's the heart of the Father. So I don't know what your wrestles are here this morning. But I know this. Jesus is the answer. And the quickest way you're going to step out of those things is when you start applying your grace gift to living called to something. Not staying here in the wrestle, but moving away from the wrestle. You'll find your peace there. Jesus is about saving you, about freeing you, about healing you. But there's something on the inside of you which is called to something. And it will get frustrated if you stay there. You have to go. Sometimes people say to me, oh, this Christian life. But the Christian life is the most exciting life on the planet if we live it called. It's the most boring life on the planet if we just live it saved. But when you're about some business, it is the most exciting life you could ever live. It's interesting, I saw um, uh, a little diagram last week that I felt to share, and it, it kind of goes in. If you compartmentalise your life into four areas and stack them up, and uh, with order of priority at the bottom, and you could say your Christianity, you could say your interests, you could say your calling, and you could say your family. Every single one of us will have those four parts to your life. And if you decided what was the most important and placed it at the bottom, and then the next important and second, the next important and third, the next important at the top, I wonder what that would look like if you were to, if you were to analyze interests, calling, family, and Christianity. What would it be? And here's where it gets important. Because if the second tier was smashed, the top two tiers would also fall over. But the bottom tier would remain firm. So if the most important thing in your life is family, and you place that at the bottom, and yet your family was rocked by a situation, and it got smashed, your entire life falls apart. See, if the most important thing to you is actually your social world and your interests and you're doing what you like to do, and that's at the bottom, when that shifts and changes and, and falls apart, your entire life falls apart. If you make your calling the biggest thing and your calling shifts, your whole world falls apart. But if you lay your life out like this, your foundation is your faith, your Christianity. And then it's your family. And then it's your calling and then it's your interests. Your interests might come and go. They might change. And if they do, it's the top layer. Nothing gets affected. You see, if, if your family is rocked, someone cheats on someone, someone dies, someone falls out, someone moves away, something happens. If that falls away, the other things come tumbling down. But your Christianity is your security. It's your rock. It never changes. It becomes the anchor of your soul. So my shout to you is this. Make your relationship with Jesus the most important thing in your world. Then love your family. Love your family. Get around them. Whether you like it or not, they're your family. Maybe if you haven't got family, the church family. We love each other. But then, above your, your interests, make your calling important. I think that's one of the ones we get flipped up. 
We know we are called to something, but we are interested in this. And when we start saying to ourselves, I'm going to promote my calling, I'm going to press my calling, my interest might change from time to time, but I'm pressing into my calling, your world will go somewhere different. So I wonder if we could live that kind of life, church. I wonder if we could shift our world from just living saved to living saved and called. Do you hear me? Could I pray with you? Could you stand up and I want to just pray some stuff over you guys. Let me just invite you just to close your eyes. You don't have to, there's no rules here, but it's just a really cool moment to give Jesus your full attention. I just know there's some brilliant, brilliant people stood in front of me. You guys are amazing. And I hope if nothing else, you can walk away from this place to encourage there's something good in you. There's a gift in you which is unique to you and celebrate that. You're amazing. So, Father God, we just reach out to you in this moment. And my cry is, Lord God, that you would begin to highlight the grace gifts in our life. The things that we can do easily. That maybe other people can't do. I pray, Lord God, you begin to stir up that gift that we wouldn't be satisfied until we're flowing in it. I pray, Lord God, for great communication with friends and family and mentors and peers as we wrestle this one through. But I thank you, Lord God, that when we begin to flow in our grace gifts, lives are changed. Hope is brought. Laughter is had. Fruit comes. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just get about your business right now and stir up your church. Lord, thank you that we are saved because of your undeserved favor, because of your great love for us. And just while we're there, church, is there anyone here today who wants to get their life right with Jesus? Whether it be for the first ever time or whether it be like you've drifted away and you want to reconnect. Let's live saved. Moving away from the hurts, moving away from isolation, moving away from rejection, moving away from attitudes, moving away from sickness. God loves you so much. He came to pull you out of that. Give me a wave today if that's you and you say, I want to be right. Bless you there. Bless you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's awesome. Okay, we're going to pray this prayer together, church. I'll pray a line, you pray a line. A couple of people responding. Important moments. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving me. Today, I invite you to live in my heart. Thank you that you love me enough to die for me, but you rose again, victorious, to give me life. I accept you, in Jesus' name, amen. So good, church, so good. Can we just wait a moment? Let's just wait a moment.